thank you for tuning in this episode of the How We Interview podcast. I had the opportunity to talk again with my good friend, Jeremy Lyons. Jeremy is the founder of the Rec Ops Collective. Uh, we played a little game today. We played a game of smoke, fire, lies. I asked Jeremy some questions and he would answer smoke, meaning, yeah, that's 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 kind of in the middle. That's, that's in the gray area. Fire, which means that that's true. Yeah, this is on fire. And then lies, which is like, just stop it, Aaron. These are lies. I won't, I won't have it anymore. So I hope you enjoy. We covered some interesting ground. Thank you for tuning in. Hello. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the How We Interview podcast. I have my good friend Jeremy Lyons with us. Jeremy and I spoke a few episodes back and we had so much good content and such a good time. I asked him to come back and he was kind enough to do so. Jeremy is the founder of the Rec Ops Collective and we are going to play a fun game of smoke, fire, or lies. Jeremy, for those folks that either A, don't know you or B, didn't tune into the last episode, can you uh, do a quick introduction? Absolutely, Aaron. So, Jeremy Lyons here. I operate, uh, or I co-founded and created uh, Rec Ops Collective, which is a Rec Ops professional services company. We help folks build dashboards, uh, work on the recruiting operations efficiencies, help implement tools. Uh, and that's on the business side. On the social side, we operate a going strong newsletter uh, that is built by community members um, and focuses purely on the rec ops community um, and things that rec ops people should know, not just sort of the recruiter space. And and I mentioned this last time, I'll say it again because it bears repeating, but I want to thank you for what you have done for the rec ops community because we've always kind of been left out in the dark, right? We weren't recruiting necessarily. We weren't necessarily ops. We weren't necessarily sourcing. We were kind of this mashup of all these different things and you've wrapped your arms around the community and I think created just a lot of awareness that that a lot of folks like you and I really you know kind of grab onto yeah I mean I think one of the things that is really been important to me about this community and about this group of people is recruiting often gets thought of as the the stepchild it's sort of we're there but we're not really there. I can say that as a stepchild. <laughs> um, and it, so you're, you're, you're part of the family, but you're going to, you're going to kind of go come and go. I'm hoping people are going to start to really rethink recruiting strategies because it's always been sort of, Hey, we're not going to be hiring. We don't need this group of people as opposed to looking at the fact that we've always had to have all of these skills. And when you think about it like that, when you, look at recruiting operations, it's sort of the one degree down. So I'm I, one of the biggest things and I appreciate people like you letting me on to talk about it and and also kind of promoting the message as well. Recruiting operations is going to be a different beast going forward, especially in 2024, especially as AI tech. And we're seeing that now lots of people rebranding themselves as rec ops people uh, because People started to realize that our, our job there is to bring things closer towards the business and legitimize what, what we're doing. And we could sit in an ops function and pivot to whatever they need us to go to. We could sit underneath specific groups, go and do that. But there's a lot of learning, a lot of very talented people in this space. And uh, it didn't deserve to be a secret anymore. Um, yeah, I agree a thousand percent, a hundred percent. And I think as you know, I think over time, and we'll get to the game here in a sec, but I think over time, like, you know, recruiting teams will need to find ways to become more and more efficient. And the ones that 
become the most efficient will have the strongest rec ops leaders. I think it'll be that. I think the candidate experience is going to evolve and change. I think one of the biggest things that I've seen, and it was even just today, um, candidate.fyi released a scheduling tool as part of their platform. And I think when you think about candidate experience and you think about sort of a little bit of the rebrand that some recruiting coordinators have undergone as candidate experience specialists or you know how that's being titled, you kind of have to think about what are we trying to optimize for here? Are we trying to optimize for the candidate experience and the external factors? Or are we trying to capitalize for the internal factors? And I tell people this all the time that recruiting is the, is the offensive response to a defensive strategy, which basically just means recruiting is there to find people and sort of guard your people too, because we're, we're the first people that people touch. And when they go and they look for a new role, they're probably going to come to re- your internal recruiting team first. They're not going to probably go to an HRVP. Yeah. So it's those elements that make it. And I, <laughs> I don't know why this is coming to mind. I'm a huge music person. And so when something, when a music track gets on my head, it gets in my head, it it's, comes to me. But I think recruiting operations is like, um, uh, my songs know what you did in the dark by fallout boy. Like if you think about what an entire recruiting process is, it's an orchestra. It's, you could call it a team sport. It's an orchestra. Everybody has an instrument to play. It is going to produce a sound. And that sound is the sound that you hope represents your company and is beautiful and harmonic. But there are people behind that who know what it took to get there. And so it's like, my songs know what you did in the dark. It could also be a phrase to uh, describe recruiting operations. So good. Damn it. That's well said. Okay. On that note, smoke fire lies. We'll lead off with your question that you mentioned in our pre-call. It's so oh, don't good. put this on me. Smoke fire lies. Is LinkedIn in January, 2024, the new gym? I'm going to go with, smoke here. Uh, And I'm going to say it's smoke because I think that, and to give color and context, all gyms know that come January 1st, there is going to be a huge influx of people who are going to sign up for gym memberships. uh, And by February, they are not going to be there. And it's, there was a great, um, article video hopefully i can find it and send it to you so you can link it in the comments or in the notes uh, that talks about how gyms are actually cost efficient because if everybody showed up at once they actually couldn't support their 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 volume but i think that the reason why i say this is smoke for linkedin is that come january 1st we saw a lot of content we saw a lot of people engage engaging with it we see we're going to see a lot of numbers people are going to come out and at, at probably at the end of the month and say oh i've had some of the, my best engagement months month ever in january mm-hmm. uh, i think that there's the energy for the new year there's a lot of people who are like hey i saved up my uh job search thing to hit the ground running in jan 1 and are now doing that and there's a lot of people who are doing content now. And I'm going to be really curious to see if those same people exist come February. Um, namely because co- doing content consistently is hard. 
And doing content when you have a job is harder. Exhausting. Uh, And I think that, I think Joel Alalji pointed out, he's like, I've survived a lot of people who have done content because I do it every day and I do it consistently as part of who I am and part of what I do. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it too. A lot of people, when I started putting out more and more content last year, rec ops people were like, cool, I'm getting into the rec ops content game. I said, great, let's partner. A lot of people got jobs and went, I'm not here. I can't do it. So it's going to be, again, I'm going to be tracking this number six weeks from now because that's apparently how long it takes to build a habit to see who's, who's still there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it takes me less to build a bad habit, but <laughs> don't hear what you're saying. Okay, so um, aligned to to the title of, of our podcast, How We Interview, uh, yes. Smoke, Fire, or Lies. For every job, there is only one perfect candidate. Lies. Lies. Let's hear it. Why? I think that that is a pure lie because I think that it that the jobs now are... If you walk into it, it's like saying there's one true love. Mm. You could have met your true love 10 years ago and not been in the right place and not been in the right time and not have said the right things. And maybe you got lucky and they stuck around and you're with them. But I think that there are so many talented people and there's so many skills. That's why I'm kind of like invested in that skill-based hiring as opposed to the uh, style of hiring that we've been using for hundreds of years where it's like, Hey, meet the job description because things are evolving. Mm -hmm. Um, and you need people who are going to evolve with them. And there are people who have very, very good skills and that's going to work for you right now, but there are going to be people who are going to have skills that you're going to be like this person. I'm going to need this person for the next 15 years. Um, so I don't think that there is, it, there could possibly be the perfect choice for one job because nobody's perfect. And I think and to extend on that too, I think we have to stop trying to get the best out of the person in the interview because you're not going to get the best out of that person every single day. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that is something that is really important to look at because if they can't handle you at your worst, can they handle you at your best? And obviously you don't want that to be, you don't want to come in, kick in the door and say, say a whole bunch of bad things. But I think we need to like recognize that people are human beings sitting in front of us and they have stories to tell. And not all of them are great stories. I mean, even for me, I tell people I'm a cautionary tale. I've made enough mistakes in my career. And I will tell people that I want, I made the mistakes because I don't want people to sit there and think, Oh, you're so great. I'm like, I'm not, I've made mistakes. I made, I've said things that I shouldn't have said mm-hmm. and I've learned from them, but you needed that experience. And that's why I think when you interview, you can't expect the best out of somebody, but if you're getting all the right signals that this, that they're, they're good is good. <laughs> then that, that changes the equation. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. Um, you're, you're, uh, analogy of the one I actually wrote that down when I wrote the question it's uh, you know and that's you could be the one that day you could be the one 90 days six months a year for that role it doesn't mean you're going to be the one you know during those initial interactions which I think is really important I mean I also and I'll throw it out there to kind of continue this 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 thought too 
I've had recruiters reach out to me and go, you know what? You were the one for this position, but I took a look at everything else that was going behind the scenes and I didn't want to be the one to break you. And I knew that that was going to happen. If they brought you in, I wasn't setting you up for success. And sure, at the time, that sort of feels like a compliment. You're like, great, but I needed that job. <laughs> Why didn't you give me that choice? Yeah. But to, to have that foresight sometimes as a recruiter to say like, this is a very, very good candidate. We found a Ferrari and we want to give you the Ferrari, but you're not ready for that horsepower yet. Mm-hmm. You need something that is going to get you from point. You need the hoopty to get you from point A to point B. Because if we give you this now, you're not going to get anything remotely close to what you want. It's going to sit in your garage and look pretty. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate that kind of counsel. I, I always have. Yeah. This episode of How We Interview is brought to you by Riembi. You understand the importance of maximizing your team's efficiency. Instead of having your recruiters or coordinators spend time with expense reports to reimburse candidates for interview expenses, automate the process with Riembi. Riembi streamlines the reimbursement process, ensuring your candidates receive their reimbursement quickly and accurately. Your team can focus on other essential aspects of the hiring process by eliminating reimbursement tasks from their workload. Automating reimbursements is a significant improvement to the candidate experience. No more dealing with spreadsheets, attaching receipts to emails, or waiting weeks to receive the payout. With Reambi, the reimbursement payout to your candidates is sent the same day expenses are approved. To learn more about how Reambi can help your team, visit Reambi.com. That's Reambi, R-E-I-M-B-I.com. Smoke fire lies. I've, I've had this situation happen before. So I'll ask you the question, then I can I can opine on the back end. Yeah, passive candidates are of higher quality than active candidates. Mm. I'm gonna say lies, and I'm gonna say lies for me. Well, actually, I want to hear why why you think what you think and. And and where it comes comes from? Yeah, and and some of this is lived, and some of this is 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 opinion. I, I I've had requisitions before. I've had executive roles where I'm I'm presenting candidates, and and I'll have three candidates, and all three are active. And they're like, I want you to bring me a passive one because that's gonna be better than these three, which are exactly aligned to to what the profile for the role was. I think in any given time, a role could use passive candidates. They could use active candidates. They could use a mix. I don't think there's a hard and fast. So I'm going to go ahead and say smoke. I don't think there's a hard and fast rule that say, you you know, you should only go after passive candidates because they're of higher quality or because there's a reason they're not looking, right? Or B, and, and at the end of the day, I'm not even sure I believe in this notion of passive versus active candidates. I think everybody's an active candidate for the right money, right? Or the right opportunity or the right <laughs> brand. Um, and so I, I'm not sure I even believe in to that extent, but I do think it's a huge misnomer in the industry where people will say, bring me passive candidates. I don't want these ones that actually raise their hand to apply. So I love that justification. And I think as you were talking there, my brain went in two directions with it. The first direction was, I think personally, I think that it's, it's lies when I think about hiring managers, I think it's all, they're going to get all the smoke on this. Yeah. And I think that there is an idea that started somewhere 
it's probably the same origin of the idea that said that had hiring managers come to recruiters and say, okay, how many calls am I going to need to get to get to a hire? And I think every time I've had somebody say that, I go, okay, that's a metric, but that can be a vanity metric. That's not telling you a story. If you find the right person, it could take one call mm-hmm. or it could take a hundred calls because you don't know what you're looking for. So, yeah. so I'm doing these calls for you. Yeah. Or so that's why it's all smoke for them. <laughs> yeah. But, it's probably the same origin where somebody said, you know, oh, well, active candidates are looking and passive candidates aren't. So let's go and see what we can steal from somebody else. Going back to my, it's an offensive strategy for a defensive solution mm-hmm. piece. And so I think that that's, that's where it comes from. And that's why I don't, I don't think that passive candidates are the best. I don't even sometimes think active candidates are the best. Yeah. But I do think that the difference between an active candidate and a passive candidate and how they answer a question is going to be very different because the passive candidate goes, I don't really need this job. I'm kind of okay where I'm at. Whereas the active candidate is going to actively be selling you on why they are the best candidate. So it's sort of the, call it a new money versus old money approach. Old money is not going to sit there and tell you it's rich. Yeah. New money is going to be sitting there going, check out the fit, check out everything I've got because I need you to know. It's the same concept with an active candidate versus a a passive candidate. Yeah, I love that. I'm of the no money camp, not new, not old, just no. Um, (laughs) I've I've seen this stat a few times this week. 51% 51% of all jobs aren't even posted. 58% of jobs you would never know about. It's on the dark web. 63% of jobs are like underground and you would never know. And we, you know, this us mere mortals never get a chance to apply for them. So smoke fire lies. Is there a, a dark web somewhere of all these unposted jobs we'll never get a crack at? I'm going to say fire here. And the reason I'm going to say fire here is there was a post that I did probably end of 2021 uh, when I was going through a particularly difficult job search and particularly difficult time. And I was a completely different person then than I am now Um, where I, where I had said, I don't think that there's a, that this whole concept of unposted roles it doesn't exist. Just doesn't. But the longer that I've been around and the more that I've talked to people, there is sort of this concept of, well, I mean, look at it this way. Sam Altman gets fired from OpenAI on Friday, has a job offer from Microsoft Sunday night. You cannot tell me that somebody on the recruiting side at that at that part, or he called up Sandia and said, hey, I, I need a job. And he went, cool, you're going to build the same thing over here at Microsoft because we poured enough money into your company to make it work. Exactly. But they, I don't think, I can't say that there aren't people who we've all worked with where it's like, 
if that person is available, that person makes a phone call and a company isn't like, cool, we're going to fast track you through a process. We're going to throw every process we have out the window to hire you. Mm-hmm. And that to me speaks a little bit more to that dark web of, of roles that exists. Because I don't think that that, I think we all like to think of ourselves as exceptional. But I, one of the biggest telling pieces is, are we exceptional enough that the minute we pick up the phone and call somebody, we have a job? That's probably not most of us. Yeah. And so I think that's more in the power of it all. Do you think there's a correlation of like the more senior you are, the longer you're in your industry, the more you get access to those roles that other people don't see? Although I will say when I got laid off, like where the hell, where the hell's the dark, dark web jobs? Like I'm not seeing them. But now, you know, I, you, it's just so funny how that works versus I think there are certain swaths of the employment community. You never get access to those kind of roles. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think. To your point, one of the things that happens if you're in the space long enough, people are going to know you, mm-hmm. especially if you're somebody who speaks on things or writes on things, not even constantly, but you get brought up in the conversation, people are going to know you. And so when you say, hey, I'm looking, that's going to be a very different experience. But I've also, you know, reached out to people when I've been out, said, hey, I'm really looking, you know, it'd be great. And those people say, hey, we've got a rule, but you're going to have to interview for it. And we're going to have, you're going to have to interview against everybody else in the market. And if, even if it's just somebody else saying, hey, here's this rule and somebody else saying, we're going to get you into the process, but we're not going to do like, you get no preferential treatment. You got to go and do the song and the dance just like everybody else. That's different. And I think that that's a networking thing. And I think that the networking aspect of that is really, really important and not a skill. And I think that the biggest thing that I've learned in the last year, I mean, even how we got connected Mm -hmm. is simply reaching out to somebody and saying, I've liked what you said. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can I have a digital conversation with you? I'm not looking for anything out of this. I just want to know more about what you do. That that builds into stuff. And then you say at the end of the call, who should I talk to next? But the reason, again, tracking it back to why I say this is fire, I say it's fire because it's not a not thing (laughs) that exists. People can call and get put into process and people do play favorites and people do have these elements and that's human. And unfortunately it's not fair. And I think it puts certain groups at a disadvantage and I would hope that it doesn't, I would hope that it actually would open doors and it doesn't. So that's why I say there's fire there. And I agree completely. I do think, you know, if I've learned anything this year, jobs will come and go. Your, your friends, your network, your connections will live on long past any one role or several roles. And, yep. and I think the, the better job you do giving as much as you get, because there's people that build their networks to just get, you've, you've got you've to give. And, and, and the better you do that, I, I think that's real security. 
it's not the job you have. That's that's kind of what I've learned this year. Okay. Smoke, fire, lies. Applicant tracking systems do the majority of candidate screening and disposition. It's your favorite. <laughs> uh, lanes. Can I just say that that if there were ever fire emojis to infinity, that that you just hit that on the head. No, no. Can we stop this lie that? Applicant tracking systems are are automatically declining candidates that didn't have any sort of human input into why it was automatically declining. I I, one, I was having a conversation with a very close colleague of mine, talked to her probably every other day, if not more. And she was having a conversation with somebody who had said AI is um, getting rid of candidates. And she went, I, you know, no, it's not. I know this industry. I know this tech. I, I know this stuff. And he said, well, okay, it's actually really scoring candidates. Well, scoring candidates is a very different thing than automatically declining candidates without any human interaction in between. So no, it's not. And it's not an, it, it, I think. People have to realize that right now, a lot of ATSs, depending on which ATS you're using, are sophisticated filing cabinets. Mm -hmm. That's not what the future of the ATS is going to hold. But it's also not so AI driven in it that it's just knocking people out before they're even seen by a human being. I think likely what's happening is that people aren't spending enough time on their job descriptions, making sure that those are really specific. And then on the candidate side, people aren't spending enough time reading or learning how to read a job description. I think that is a skill that I didn't learn until last year, speaking with Jim Miller. Mm -hmm. But if people don't really understand, like, this is the minimum qualifications, these are the preferred qualifications, and maybe we in TA, we need to make it very specific. These are the minimum qualifications. These are the preferred qualifications. You know, you don't meet those. Then to, to be declined, it's going to happen. But it's, um, it's, people have to spend the time on both sides really doing their due diligence there so that it is grown into something that is beyond the sophisticated filing cabinet. I mean, you want to believe you apply for dozens, if not hundreds of jobs, and you don't even get a call back, and you're like, well, it must be the robots. I mean, there it couldn't possibly be something I'm doing or not doing wrong. I mean, I'll throw this back on you. Smoke, fire, lies. Every ATS should get a should completely throw out the uh, decline without sending a message. Lies. I mean, really? Yeah, I. I well, that's God. That's that's all. We could have an hour discussion on the art of declinations and how to do it in a humane way. Um, I, I feel like everybody, if somebody's going to take the time to apply for a role, they should get no matter how ill a fit they are for the role. Okay, post a CEO role, and you know somebody from wherever who's who's just beginning their career applies for it. I if they took the time, not that you see a lot of CEO roles posted. If they took the time to apply, they deserve the dignity of a response. 
it, because the response doesn't really mean anything, but at least they closed that door. My unexpected six months sabbatical, I was probably only contact contacted. I'm sure I was disposition, but I was probably contacted less than 50% of the time. Well, I mean, that's what I, maybe I'm, I worded the question in, incorrectly, but it was that the only option that an oh. ATS should have should be to send it. But I think also you just validated a, a, an argument that I was making earlier, which is you're right. Most C-suite roles are not posted roles. Yeah. So that validates that there is there are roles out there that will never see the light of day, but will somehow end up with people. And they will only do that because those groups are going to your big search firms that are very well known. Um, you know. Yeah. So in, in regards to the spirit of your question, I guess that's all fire. A hundred percent of the time, everybody should always be disposition. I would argue everybody deserves a reason why. Not only a disposition, but a reason. And and um that's so rare. That's less the less than two or three percent of, of organizations are actually providing a reason if you don't know somebody. I mean, if you know somebody, you get into the process, they'll circle back and be like, hey, not a good fit. You know, it's it's awful for you. And I'm not gonna do this to you, you little Ferrari you. I, I mean, that that I get, but that that's even that's even way off or outside the realm of possibility. Well, but I think to your point, it's like how are ATSs going to evolve? How is that compliance piece going to evolve? And I think to your point, if if a candidate is being dispositioned out of a role, maybe the AI that you're using connects the dots and says that, you know, especially if it, it's a, a minimum qualification or preferred qualification kind of a situation, it goes back and it says to you, you know, thank you so much, Aaron, for applying to the role of head of TA. Uh, after reviewing your resume, we noticed you have six years as a head of TA position. We're looking for 10 years uh, of this. You know, that can be AI. That can be a token. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, it, doesn't be a, it doesn't have to be a human. It's just, it's something, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Because I think that on, the, on your point, on the decline reason there, you know why you didn't get the job. I don't have, I, so I was interviewing at the end of last year for a couple of roles and I got told as I made it to the final rounds and I got declined, we decided to go for a candidate who had more experience at this company in the past. I can't manufacture that in my career. They said, you have all of everything else we're looking for, but we're looking for someone who has more experience at this company at this time because of the growth stage we're at, or because of the stage that this company is at. Mm -hmm. And the minute I heard that, I went, okay, cool. You are looking for somebody who knows where all the bodies are hidden, knows where all the power players are. You don't have time to onboard me successfully. That alone is a decline of reason enough. Yeah. It wasn't anything to do with skill. It had everything to do with we wanted somebody who had previously worked here. And that's that can sometimes be an okay response. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I I appreciate that honesty. We got talking about this in the pre-call. Yeah. Around the this notion of toxic positivity, especially mm -hmm. in the uh month of January, New Year, New You. 
So smoke fire lies just in terms of, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're working with a whole bunch of new folks. I'm working with a whole bunch of new folks. A lot of people are trying to be the, their, their best selves. Smoke fire lies is toxic positivity a thing. I will say that there is fire there. And I wrote a post last week, actually kind of my second, my second post of the whole year that sort of broke down what is toxic positivity and how is toxic positivity different from optimism and hope. And I think there are, you are allowed, there, there are rules in comedy for those listening. And the rules of comedy state, you are allowed to make jokes about your groups, the groups who you are a part of. So for me, I can make jokes about being Jewish because I am Jewish. I can make jokes about cheerleading because I did cheerleading. I can make jokes about football too because I played football in, in two countries. But I'm allowed to do that because that's that's my group. The minute I go outside of my group, I am now vi- I'm now in very tricky territory. Mm-hmm. It's usually why you end up seeing comedians getting in trouble for women making jokes about men, making men making jokes about women, and you have to people making jokes about color, which you know is not a good thing to be making jokes about. But you're allowed to make jokes about your own group, and I think that. There is some toxic positivity from people who are employed trying to cheer up people who are unemployed and looking and people who are desperate on that side. And instead of it giving hope, it's giving toxic positivity because it's like, oh, well, your next job is right around the corner. It's like, what are you talking about? I've applied to a hundred jobs. Maybe two have gotten back to me. With the decline, maybe one's been interesting to me in the last six months. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about, hope? Hope doesn't pay the bills. Your positivity that you're, oh, just keep going. Ganmon through this. It's a Japanese term that I lo- that gets very, <laughs> gets used a lot. Ganmon. It's like, try hard. Go work hard. It, it, it can get lost on people. It can it comes from a place of privilege, and I think that that's sort of the toxic positivity aspect. I think when you talk to people and you reach out and you're trying to give them optimism around, like, "Hey, this version of your resume is really, really good. I feel very positive about that." That is a different transference of feeling, and that can give somebody hope. But you're not giving them false hope. And you're not giving them toxic positivity to say, you're better than all the other candidates out there. I think looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I, I'm just another person here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's hard. And I think that much in the same way that we go through breakups and we try to give our, our friend encouragement around their breakup and what they're going through and saying, oh, you know, I've been there before. Don't worry. You're going to land on your feet. You're a great person. Which by the way, sounds exactly like the same thing that we, that you tell people who've just been laid off, which is horrible. Yeah. Um, You have to like, you, you can't just sort of post and 
give people likes. You you have to pick up the phone. Yeah. Um, every single person who I know personally who has been laid off in the last two months, I made it a point to say, hey, do you I saw your message? Do you have time to get on the phone? And picked up and just said, How are you doing? What can I do to help you? I've I've been where you've been for a very good portion of this year. What can I do to help you? And I think that 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 gives that's not toxic positivity. It's not the same thing as posting something and having a huge following like up like something just because it's a positive message. It's different. Yeah, it's real. Well, one of the things you do that I I, I have always appreciated, and it's not done from a place of like malice, but it's more of a matter of education is every week you'd be like, look, these are the layoffs that happened that went under the radar. And, and, and that to me serves as a job seeker served two purposes. One was careful if you're going to apply for a job there. And the second is speaking of toxic positivity on one hand, those brands are still out there branding themselves as an employer of choice, talking about their values Meanwhile, they let go of 2,500 people two weeks before Christmas. Yeah. I mean, to, to kind of build on that too, I mean, they're build on it with kind of three different thoughts. One, I really love the job board true up mm-hmm. because true up says this is the last time the company did a layoff. I think that that's really important. Uh, two, it's taught me a lot about trend, about cyclical things in the market. So when Unity, did their most recent layoff. I had seen about six or seven, maybe more than that, gaming companies doing layoffs. That tells me something about that industry. tells me something about, do I want to try to get a career in that industry when it looks like there's something happening there that could mean that my job gets lost later on down the line. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It's just that's unity cutting 1800 people um there was a great post i I saw where somebody said at most in the past gaming cut 900 people a year this doubled that in one company big deal um but then the other thing too with that post and the reason i keep that post going is because a most of my network is recruiters Mm -hmm. and so that says, hey, there are some really good people that are missing. Go and try and help them if you can. And it helps the people go, I'm not not gone. I'm not, I'm now not a number. And I think that there are so many posts I see about how isolated people feel when they've been laid off or fired or anything like that, because you go from having people that you talk to every day, they're going to keep on going. And you're now out on this, you're, you're out there and you don't have those connections anymore. And it's isolating and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. Well, I, I mean, we're, we're getting uh late Pacific standard time here. I'm, I'm bumping into your dinner. Uh, Jeremy, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your thoughts. You, my friend are fire in the spirit of, uh, of, of our game that we play today. Thank you for playing along. Thank you for being on. I look forward to doing this again soon. And I always appreciate um, you just being so willing to share your thoughts and your candor. 
Well, I appreciate you again for uh, being willing to do this late and for also, you know, giving, giving a platform, doing a great job with how we interview as a podcast. I, I know I listen to every episode because I know it's going to be engaging. So thank you again for having me. Appreciate it, sir. Appreciate you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How We Interview podcast brought to you by Riambi. Head to our website at howweinterview.com to find the show notes and links mentioned in this episode. While you're there, subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Leaving us a rating and review also helps us reach more listeners interested in learning from other talent acquisition professionals.